0: We are uh, kind of between series, and I've been I've been able I've enjoyed this because I've been able to, to uh, hit some things that I felt like needed to be hit, some bring up some subjects that needed to be touched on, and talk about some things that I think are important. and And I want to do that again today. Um, I I entitled this humility. What does wisdom look like? Uh, because we have a lot of different ideas of what wisdom is, and and and. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit. And I want to read this passage. It's on, the sh- on your sheet there. This is from Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I know this is strange, but I, I, sometimes I get on these, you know, I've talked about this before, I get on these weird rabbit trails, and I touch on things, and one of the things I was thinking about as we, t- as we look at this passage, you know, where he talks about um, the rulers of the Gentiles, this is this Roman system that's involved in that day, and they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That exercise authority is a word that means to dominate or to domineer. In other words, it's unchecked authority. It is absolute authority. It is not just, you know, not just like necessarily your boss. It's much more than that. And he's saying, this is the way the world works. There's one other world that works that way. And I know it's strange, but it's the world of chickens because chickens have a pecking order, right? And if you're high up on the pecking order, then it means you get a lot of food and you're safe and you can have whatever turf you want. And if you're on the bottom of the pecking order, it means you're lonely, you're afraid, and you could be attacked, and you're hungry, and you have low self-esteem. It's all about the pecking order. And it's a stupid way to live when you think of it because if, if you've ever, I mean, I, I call me weird, but I look this stuff up. I mean, I'm researching this. Chickens die from being pecked by other chickens who have more authority than them, who lord it over them. They die from this. They kill, you know, they, they 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 kill each other this way. Imagine a species that would kill each other. Stupid, right? And and so, what do farmers do? People who raise chickens, they they have all kinds of. I know this is crazy. This is a stuff called Peck No More. You spray it on your chickens so that they taste bad to the other chickens. Now I don't know if you can see it, but the maker is Rooster Booster. Which, once I saw that, I said, I gotta share that with you guys. Because, I mean, where else do you get spiritual input like this, right? Right. So they spray that on them so they want. Now, and, and it's, you can read from it, it doesn't always work. They still are a part of this system. I gotta take that off there. There we go, take that off. They're still a part of this system. And now, I mean, what could you do to make chickens stop? You could, you could threaten them, you could say, okay, chicken, here's the deal. You stop pecking other chickens, or <laughs> you know what's going to happen, right? There's a way that seemeth right to a chicken, but the end is the way of death. You can tell them that. But chickens don't they, don't, they just keep doing it. And I'm thinking, what I was thinking about with this is that how Jesus directly attacked the culture of his day. And I want to say this, he is attacking our culture today too. He still attacks the dominant culture Because whatever the dominant culture is, it tends, it has excesses, it has, it runs things, it makes the rules, it says this is what you're supposed to wear, this is what's beautiful, this is what's not beautiful, this is how you should do this, this is how you should do that. That's how it works. And Jesus always attacks the gospel, always attacks the dominant culture. Now it attacks cultures that aren't dominant, but it always attacks the dominant culture. And in the ancient Roman culture, ancient Greece they admired heroes this idea of a someone who'd overcome obstacles to achieve their full potential of excellence and to receive status and honor and recognition so so they viewed life they viewed life as this competition for status for honor for recognition it was a struggle this is the meaning of life to them And that's why, you know, for the Greeks, the Olympic Games, and they had multiple versions. They had the Corinthian Games, the Isthmus Games. All these these games, they weren't just sports. They were a religious ceremony. They were a celebration of what their culture stood for, of striving against obstacles, of achieving excellence. That's why, I mean, has it ever occurred to you, you know, they, they show back in those ancient days, they would give them a laurel wreath? Did you ever kind of go... Wait, what? I work out for four freaking years, and I win a race, and you give me leaves? And it was because it was much more than that. It was honor, and it was recognition, and it was, you were celebrated as being someone of excellence. Now what do we do? We put them on weedy boxes. They make lots of money, and that kind of makes it, we understand that better. But back then, that was enough for them, because on this was what life was all about. And so your idea of where who you are and how important you all was all measured by the pecking order. So we're going to talk about that because I, I want us to see what is that culture like. This is so important for us. What is that culture like so that then we see the counterculture that Jesus brings up, how much it shakes that culture to the core in, in, in the book of Acts. In Ephesus, what happens? There's a riot, and they say, these people, Christians, they're turning the world upside down. We need to kill them. Because they're changing our culture, right? Okay, so first thing is clothes. Clothes determined your status. If you were a slave, you wore whatever your master told you to wear. You just had no choice in the matter. But if you were free and not a slave, especially if you've been freed as a slave, you wore what's called the freedman's cap. All right? It's a little cap like that. Now, I confess to you guys that sometimes things weird me out or strike me as incredibly odd because as soon as I saw that cap, I thought there's an ancient Greek philosopher who sometimes would wear the freedman's cap out of solidarity to the common man. His name was Papadakis, There he is, right there. We know him as Papa Smurf, right? I I saw the hat. I couldn't, no, go right back to the hat. I couldn't help it. That's the first thing I thought of. But that's what they would wear. That hat was a symbol. Okay, if you were a slave, you could not wear that hat. If someone who knew you were a slave saw you wearing that hat, you would be punished. All right, because you couldn't wear that hat. That's a freedman's hat. That just says, I'm not a slave. And that would be, you know, uh, 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 maybe artisans, businessmen, simple farmers, what they would call plebeians. And, and the freedmen wore a, a simple tunic, too. Here we see a guy wearing a version of that hat. Just a simple tunic. That's what they wore. All right? But if you were a citizen, uh, because you could be free without being a citizen. Uh, citizens were more in the minority. When you came of age uh, as a boy, it would be 14 or 15, 16, right in there, you would wear what was called a toga, all right? And this, we've all seen this, you know, you've seen this, if if you've seen anything about fraternities and sororities, this is the toga virilis. This means it's uh, the toga of manhood is how it translates. Now, if you were an equestrian, now an equestrian is someone who's rich. They have the toga, because they're a citizen, but also they would wear gold rings. Now, this is an actual ring from the time of Jesus. And on there is Augustus, Caesar Augustus. And so the equestrians could wear these kind of rings. So if you saw someone in a toga, the first thing you do is kind of glance at their hands. I mean, it's kind of like people who who want to go ask other people out. And the first thing they do is glance at their left hand to see if there's a ring there. Because what does that ring mean? That ring supposedly means I'm not available. I'm not available. That's what it's supposed to mean, right? And so it's just kind of a, and you know, most of you, everybody's looking at me like, oh, really do people do? Come on. Lying is a sin, right? Come on. And, and so the, you, you'd look at the ring. That would tell you, oh, he's not just a citizen. He's a very high citizen. He has one of the rings. And so that's what would show them. Now, if you were an equestrian, which is a high level aristocrat, you'd wear not only a ring and a toga, but the toga would have some sort of, uh, oh, here it is, I'm sorry, that, that's my bad. The, a toga it would have, see the purple trim on this. Now, this is from, the, this is from the time, this is from Pompeii. Uh, this is a, a mural that was uncovered in Pompeii, and it shows someone who's of, he's named of a senatorial rank. So he's high up there. All right? Now, think about what we just talked about with clothing. James chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes comes in. You see what he's saying? Suppose an equestrian comes in and then suppose a man, he's not even wearing a freedman's cap, he's probably a slave. And he says, don't treat them differently. Don't you dare take this man up to the front and show him a good seat and tell this man to sit in the back. Don't you dare do that. Now, we look at that and we say, oh, yeah, well, of course. We, we. But understand what he's saying here? He's saying, break the rules. Because Roman law said, you have to show these people favor. You have to. They get favor in whatever it is. And Jesus, James here, is saying, don't. Don't do it. Not in a church not in church, all right? And so this is how the church is gonna mess with Rome. This is how Jesus is going to attack the dominant culture of that day. And so this senatorial class, you know, you, the, the people would show who they were by what they wore. You, you, you could wear uh, the robe and the gold ring and the, and the purple trim or a big purple sash. Sometimes they wore something like that. Isn't it crazy? that people thought their clothes were an expression of status. Isn't it crazy we still do it? We still do it. All right, that's just clothing. Next is occupations. Occupations were ordered all around rank. That's, that's what they were ordered on. And it just depended on what you did as to where you stood in your society. I mean, obviously slaves were at the very very bottom. But your occupation, you, if you worked with your hands, you were low. Anyone who did anything with their hands, they were low. Because if you were rich and if you had a high status, you had other people doing your work for you. And so your occupation was all about status. I just wanted to mention that. Then legal standing. Uh, in Rome, there's a saying, there's one law for the honorable and then there's a whole other law for the humble. And, and it would not be a good thing to be one of the humble people. But one of those laws is this. For a Roman citizen could never be crucified. A Roman citizen could never be punished without a trial. Now, we see that played out in the book of Acts. If you remember this, Paul is, is caught, they, they, they punish him, they throw him in jail, and the next morning he just casually mentions, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And the jailer's like, I'm a dead man, because I whipped a Roman citizen without a trial. And he starts begging for, you, right? And so, so this is the thing. A Roman citizen could not be crucified Crucifixion was considered the slave's punishment. In fact, that was partly what it was called at times in certain areas. We have have some some things where they just say, and he, he was killed using the slave's punishment, which meant crucifixion. And so this gets interesting when we think about somebody like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a citizen of Rome. So he had some sort of status. And he writes to the church in Rome. See, understand what's going on here. And he says, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. He's making an incredibly profound, we go, oh yeah, he serves Jesus, we understand that. No, he's making an incredibly profound statement to his readers. He's saying, I'm a slave. You know I'm a citizen, but I'm a slave to Jesus. I take the low position. I become the lowly person. I'm a slave to Jesus. And that's why he writes later, just hopping on some of this stuff, he writes to the Corinthians, he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, he's not just picking out words out of air, he's, he's being very, very precise here. He's saying this, in the Old Testament, it says, cursed, is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's, it says someone who dies on wood. Someone who So that would be sometimes, you know, they impaled people on a stake. That was a cursed thing to have happen. Or they crucified people on wood. It's cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so Jews believe that anyone who was crucified was cursed by God. God had cursed them. That's why they got crucified. And so for Jesus to be hung on a cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. That's why Paul says that. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. He says it's foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Greeks and the Romans. Because to the Greeks and the Romans, it's all about honor. It's all about status. It's all about the pecking order. If you're crucified on the cross, you must have been a slave, and you must have done something horrible. And so to have a group of people say, we admire, we venerate, we serve a crucified slave, a person named Jesus who was crucified like a slave, and we consider ourselves slaves to him, a slave to a slave, that would just, it would be so, such an upsetting thing for a Roman or for a Greek. They would just go, that's totally wrong. You see, the gospel attacks cultures at their core and flips them upside down, upends them, In something as simple as seating, where you sit at a public event, it all was reinforced by status. And the seats were arranged not by cost, not like we do, where you pay more to sit close to the front. No, it was your rank that got you close to the front. There was no change in necessarily... Oftentimes the seating was totally free. But they put people where they were by rank. People would throw private parties and they would arrange people by rank. We know some Romans oftentimes invited people who they knew were inferior to their party just to lift themselves up, just look at them. And then they would feed them inferior food and they'd give them the cheaper wine because status is so important. And and here's the thing. No one thought anything was wrong with this. This is normal. This is the way it should be. If you're low status, you weren't allowed to speak at a party until everyone of higher status had said what they wanted to say. If you're lower status, you can't interrupt anyone at a party. But if you're high status, you can interrupt a low status person anytime you want. And I started thinking about that because I struggle with interrupting. This is something I do, and I know I do it, and I have some close people in my life who remind me of it. And It's really, it's because sometimes I think of the most brilliant things, and it's just in me bubbling up, how can I not share it? How can I not bless everyone in the room? (laughs) Oh yes, someone else is talking, but that is not close to what I'm about to say, right? That's what's going on. And it hit me. I taught my kids when they were little, don't interrupt when I'm talking. But I would interrupt them, no problem and I reinforced something in their lives that I think was not good. And I can do it today. So I give you all my, I, I allow you, if I interrupt you, say, oh, you're interrupting. You can say that, okay? I'd rather you didn't, but you can, just so, just so you know that. They would display wealth in ostentatious ways rich people might build public baths or parks or buildings, and then they would put their names on the buildings. Imagine. Is that crazy? And it would display their status. I will leave a monument to me. Plutarch, who is an ancient Roman writer, wrote, most people think to be deprived of a chance to display their wealth is to be deprived of their wealth itself. So they would look for expensive stuff to buy, clothes with expensive labels, chariots that were really expensive, just to let everybody know, I'm rich. I can afford it. What a messed up culture that is. And the gospel attacks that culture at its very core, because that's also our culture. And the gospel is attacking that culture at its very core. Final thing I want to mention is titles. They would grant honorary titles to to each other, and it wasn't considered rude to brag about your titles. You would list them, right? You would list them, and and you would say it. And uh, there is a, um, today, you can buy titles now. You can buy titles that are for sale, like in England, and they're real titles. The, The other day, someone said, oh, are you a reverend? And I said, I'd rather be a viscount or a baron. Just think that sounds cooler. If I had the money, I'd buy one of those. You, you had these titles, and you could earn them, or you could buy them, and you would display them. Uh, there, is a, uh, there is a writing that was ordered to be displayed all over the Roman Empire. It's called the, Div- the Deeds of Divine Augustus. Augustus was the Caesar at the time. It was written by Augustus for himself, And it's long, so I'm just going to read. It says, three times I triumphed at oration. 21 times I was named emperor. The Senate voted yet more triumphs for me, which I declined. Because of victories won by me, the Senate voted thanks to the immortal gods 55 times for me. In my triumphs, nine kings or children of kings were led before my chariot. I have been counseled 13 times. I was the highest-ranking senator for 40 years. I held the office of pontific maximums. All citizens of one accord in unceasingly have been praying for me in every holy place for my well-being. well-being. You know, it's kind of good, it's good to be the king, right? When you're the top rooster and you can crow about it. And so we have this culture, right? There's just a general overview right there. That's the Roman culture that, that Jesus came into. Humility was not something they cared about at all. They thought it was a weakness, they, 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 they worship the way of the hero, which there's a lot of good, worthwhile qualities in that, right? Courage and excellence and persistence, overcoming obstacles and being self-disciplined. But they, humility was not a big It was not something they admired. You know, we talk about humility, but sometimes we don't admire it so much ourselves. I've mentioned before I really like Winston Churchill, and it 's because of his wit. and one, there was a guy named Clement Attlee who, who oftentimes was in his party and competed with him uh, um, for roles in the party. And uh, Winston Churchill said, "Clement Attlee is a modest little man with much to be modest about. You see, humility's still not that big. Life in the ancient world, especially, was all about greatness. And so Jesus is born in this little country called Israel. And he's just a worker. He's a, he's a technon, it is in the Greek. He's a worker, probably a stonemason. And he also probably did carpentry, but it's not much wood in that area. So uh, they worked mostly with stone. And he said to his friends, he said to his followers, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority with them. And you know what? At the end of that sentence, any Roman or Greek especially would have said, yeah, that's right. That's how it works. Absolute authority. What's wrong with that? That's a true statement. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all about climbing up. They would have said, yep. And Jesus says what? Not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with you, First Church. This is the way the world works. The gospel is now attacking it at its core. Don't work that way. That's not how it works. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. You know, it's a, that's a funny way of being first, right? To serve others. And he says, well, I'm going to live it for you just as the Son of Man... And to give his life, uh, wait. I'm Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom of many, he says, "I'm making a new community. It's a new way. We're doing a new. We're establishing. A, it's a new culture in this com- community. It's not like our culture has for us. This is a new thing. It's not me first. It's not my family first. It's the way of the servant. It's a different way of living." And Jesus did not get on that endless race for achievement. And so someone who follows Jesus doesn't do that either, but decides, okay, I receive my worth by the grace of God. A person who's a Jesus slave doesn't choose as their ultimate value self-fulfillment, but instead self-giving love. A person who's a Jesus slave does not seek glory, but gives glory to the glorious God. A person who's a Jesus slave does not impose her will on an unfeeling, impersonal world, but a saint who surrenders her will to a loving, good God. Jesus says this is the way that God has called us to be, this way of humility and servanthood. And I'm going to model it in the doctrine of the incarnation when God coming down as a man. He says, I'm modeling this for you. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he's saying what? He's saying, here's what greatness looks like. In our culture, here's what greatness looks like. You know, the thing we have to do then is we have to figure out in our culture what does greatness look like in God's eyes. How does it work out in our culture? In Jesus' culture, here it is. I mean, think about the categories we went over. And we talk about Jesus. When the angels came, what did they say? There shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. All right? You don't get swaddling clothes at Macy's. That's not where they're from. They're just rags. They're just whatever someone could scrape up at the time. They're the rags that a peasant would wrap their baby in. And he said, Here's the sign. Here's the sign. He's coming as a servant. He's coming in humility. And so, what does he do here in this passage? He wears the the, the, he does the job and wears the clothes of a slave. He takes off his outer garments that show where he stands in that society, and he puts on this. He grabs this towel, and he does what a slave does. Now, foot washing. I just want to say this: no hero in Greek or Roman literature ever did this ever washed feet. It's Jesus' most important last act, in a sense. Now, washing feet was important. It was a a matter of hygiene. It was also of religious significance in the idea of cleansing. But it was demeaning. And it was a job for slaves. It was a job for the lowest person in the household. And in fact, though, in, in Israel... Even if you had a Jewish slave, you couldn't make them wash anybody's feet because it was too demeaning even, for a, even if it's a Jewish slave. It's too demeaning. You know, there are hardly any stories of a lower person washing a higher person's feet in all of literature. There is one story uh, from Israel, a couple named Joseph and Aseneth. And Aseneth was the bride, and she was so in love with her husband that when he came home, she actually goes to wash her husband's feet, and he's stunned by this. He says, "No, no, no! Don't do that. We'll get us the servant." Does this? And she goes, "No, you are my lord from now on. My feet are your feet. My your hands are my hands. No, no other woman will ever wash your feet. Isn't that a beautiful story?" My wife didn't think it was that beautiful of a story. Um, you know why? Because there's no stories of husbands washing wives' feet. There's none. They considered women lower. That's the way they considered it. There is one story of some disciples who love their rabbi so much that they try to wash his feet, and he refuses to allow them because they're not low enough. But you never read of a rabbi trying to wash his disciples' feet. You'll never read that, except in the Gospels. What kind of God is that who humbles himself, who humbles himself to the creatures he created, and then I think about—we talked about legal status. You know, on Jesus' last night, we know that it's already entered into the heart of, of Judas to betray him, and uh, um, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be a convict. He's going to be executed as a criminal. Um, this w- will will be his status and Judas is present at the Lord's Supper, and we've kind of mentioned this, Judas was given a place of honor at the Lord's Supper, and Jesus washes the feet of Judas. Have you ever had someone who you felt like stabbed you in the back, did something really terrible to you, and even to this day, if you think about it, oh, it sets your teeth on edge for what they did to you? Now, knowing that, would you wash their feet? Would you humble yourself to that degree? That's what Jesus did. He said, I want you to see. I want you to see what I'm doing. I want you to understand what I'm showing you. Because they didn't know it, the other disciples, but after, afterwards they knew it. They're like, wait a minute. He didn't just wash my feet. He washed Judas' feet. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? but I am among you as the one who serves. See, Jesus was considered the host of that meal, so he had the highest position there. He was the most important person there. And he decided to take the role of the least important. And he's saying, this is what I do, I'm a servant. You know, the next time you go to a banquet, or maybe later today, if you go out to eat, and you're in a restaurant, Think about who Jesus would be, waiting on tables, bussing tables, in the back washing dishes where no one sees them. That helps us remember our calling. That helps us remember that the gospel attacks our culture at its very core. And whenever we celebrate aspects of our culture that go against the gospel, we are celebrating something that attacks God. We have to be very careful about that. Even the gift, we talked about this a little bit, this idea of status and, and, and Jesus goes to Peter and Peter says, no, you will never wash my feet. Peter says, this is wrong. You're, our culture tells us how this works. He's saying, Jesus, this is beneath you. I will never be the occasion of your humiliation because this is humiliating for you, Jesus. You know, I just love Peter because he's always telling Jesus what he should be doing. You know, when they go up, when they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Peter's like, this is awesome, Jesus. Let's start. And what happens? If you remember what happens, basically God says to Peter, shut up. This is my son. Listen to him. Belt up your clacker phones, man. Shut up. This is the thing. And this is, Peter's always saying, hey, Jesus, I am not going to let you do this because this is not good for you. I know what's good for you. You don't. And, and Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. He, what is he doing? He's saying, look, I've got to do this because this example is going to be set for thousands of years. Millions of people are going to look to this example. Peter, you're not thinking big picture. And this picture is, 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 a, is a picture of our spiritual condition. We're sinners, and we need to be cleaned up, and it's humiliating. And I can't clean myself up, and neither can you. We need the gift that Jesus gave, his ultimate humiliation when he died on the cross. And so here we are, these people, where we, to all everyone who looks at us, we're bright and clean. We're you know, these people that have it all together. But we have this problem inside, it's called sin, and it will kill us. And Jesus says, you've got to receive this gift, there's no other way because you can work really hard to reach these things, but it will never, you'll never do it, you can never. That's why this is not a self-improvement program, because you'll never be able to make it. You can never do it. It has to be done for you. And then now, as it works out in our life, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he works in us, so that we change. And I mentioned that earlier when I prayed, because this is, we talk about this all the time, but it's so key, because we change in Christ, we change from the inside out it is not cleaning up the outside. Because we can clean up the outside and be hateful on the inside. And so Jesus says there's no other way to be part of his family. This is how it works. He gives this gift. And Jesus says, no, you don't, you, no, you don't have to work for me. I'm giving you this gift. Now go and serve others. Go and share it with others. The last thing I think about that that, that they got so excited that Romans and the Greeks thought was so important was the, the idea of titles. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I've set you an example. And it's not just the physical act of washing feet. Some churches have gone to that way where that's a and there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is then we can kind of get this idea. Well, I, I wash somebody's feet. Done. Right? That's not it. It's the idea of serving others, of allowing myself at times to be humiliated. Because everybody here, I think, possibly if we if we ask you, everybody here would think, yes, serving others is a good idea. And it is a good idea. But you know where, where where the problem comes? Is when you're treated like a servant. When you're treated like a servant. One day, I was here in... Um, uh, Somebody had spilled something in, in the foyer. So I just got the mop out, you know. And so I went to the foyer and I was mopping. And somebody came to the front door of the church. Somebody had spilled on Sunday. So somebody came to the front door of the church. And so I had the mop. So I just went over and I said, can I help you? And he looked at me and he was like, I'm looking for the pastor. And I said, oh, I think I know what's going on here. If I put this down, is it better? You know? And I said, I am the pastor. And it just was like really? I said, yeah, really. What can I do for you? And, 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 and we ended up talking. It was fine and it was good, but I could see how that person, their first thought was, you got a mop in your hand, dude. You're not important. I need to talk to somebody who's important. And so Jesus is saying here, we all love to be servants until we're treated like one. And then it, then it stinks, right? And Jesus is saying, titles aren't important. It's opportunities to serve and help others. We're gonna start this little community. There's gonna be no pecking order. People who've been at the bottom are gonna be able to be anything they want in this community. Slaves are gonna feel, gonna come in and they're gonna feel like, hey, my life matters to these people. I'm not just a piece of property to these people. And people who are way, way up on the scale are gonna say, you know what? I don't have to treat people this way. I can find healing, I can find rest. I can get freedom from this self-obsessed life of, of on this treadmill of endlessly pursuing. And I love it because we, we have, from the early church, we, we know of at least one church where the, the, the pastor was a slave. And there were rich people, in, and it, everything got turned upside down. Because the gospel attacks culture at its very core. Our culture values powerful, rich, and successful people. People. How well are we doing at producing humble people? There was an ancient Roman writer, his name was Celsus, and he said one of the weaknesses of Christianity is that they draw to themselves what he called stupid, ignorant, and weak people. He said they let slaves in, they let women in. This is never going to work. This Christian thing will never grow because they value humility. Isn't that crazy? I wish I could meet him. Say, how's that working out for you, dude? It's working. It's working. And so Paul writes these words to the church in Rome. And he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Paul says, I'm tur- it's turning everything upside down. Associate with the people you're not supposed to associate. Love the people who are unlovely. And it starts, interestingly, that passage, Romans 12, we all know the first couple verses where Paul, he talks about submitting ourselves to God and allowing our mind to be changed. Why? By the word of God, that's what changes us. That's the only way it's going to happen from the inside out. You know, I was just thinking this. Wouldn't it be cool if just an epidemic of humility broke out on the peninsula? Don't you think we could use that? If just people started being humble and serving others, free from preoccupation and selfishness, and just lived humbly, wouldn't that be cool? To find ways to do that? Or even just to try it for a day? Or to find things that we could do that would help develop that in our lives, and I mean we you know, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't have some suggestions. Hey, we have VBS coming up. Maybe just serve Kool-Aid, to kids, maybe help run games. It's just as a part of how we reach out to our community, we touch people. The interesting thing for me is, you know, because I'm the pastor, I hear all this stuff, but I bump into people all the time, and they talk about our church. I, uh, I met um, um, over Christopher Newport, uh, and <laughs> I'm 63 years old. I'm forgetting people's names. Who's the president of Christopher Newport University? Paul Tribble, Paul Tribble thank you. <laughs> A couple of the people who teach there didn't answer as quickly as others. I just want to mention that. Paul Tribble, and, uh, and uh, I, I met him, and I just said, hi, my name's Bob Mosley. Uh, and he goes, oh, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're talking for a second. And he says, what do you do? I said, pastor of uh, First Church Ministries. He says, oh, we have a bunch, of our, a bunch of our students go to your church. And I was like, dang, you are on top of things. You know that? And he says, yeah, I know that. You know, we... we we have, we have an outreach that goes way beyond what we would expect or what we realize. Because I bump into people all the time and go, oh, yeah, First Church. That's why this is some things like VBS, because it's not going to be all our kids. There's going to be other people's kids here. They're going to be friends of our kids. They're going to be friends of friends. And it's going to be a part of how the gospel reaches out. Even if it's something as simple as being a greeter here or helping set up chairs in the morning, being a servant. And this fall, we'll start looking towards small groups and being involved in that. And also this fall, we're going to start looking towards um, setting up a a plan to start having students come to houses for dinner every so often to establish relationships um, and, and enable our church to grow and fellowship better with each other. We want to do that. That's a great way to serve. Because I know, I know if you think, man, five CNU students are going to come to my house for dinner. What if they don't like what I eat? What if I'm a crappy cook? I am a crappy cook. My wife's going to cook. That's fine. So, but, but it's like, oh, how will I, how will I what am I going to, you know, conversation. Let me tell you something. If you feed five college students, they'll find plenty to talk about. They will not need you for that. They will just be having such a good time eating food that's decent and, and, and yummy and that kind of stuff. And we want to do that. So why? So that we, we build and we grow, not necessarily grow n- n- numerically, we grow as people. We get to know people that we wouldn't know apart from anything else except they know Jesus Christ and they come to this church. That's it, that's it. So I encourage you, be thinking, okay God, okay Jesus, you wash feet, what do you want me to do? Whose feet you want me to wash? Who do you want me to serve? And, and be honest. Say, look, God, I know if it's going to involve humbling me, it's going to hurt, and I'm going to probably push back some on this. Help me stick to it. Because he will do that. He will do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. That he set this perfect example, and he, and he tells us that through him we can be empowered to live it. We cannot live it on our own. But through the power of your power that you bring into our lives, Lord, we can do it. And we can begin to live the life that you meant for us to live. We begin to see things that you want us to see. To experience things, to know people, to serve others, and experience the humbling that comes with that and knowing that you are pleased with that. And so, Lord, we offer it to you, and we pray that this week even, you'd give us opportunities to change and to grow and to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're taking an offering right now, and uh, we want to just say that if you're a guest here, we don't expect you to give. We don't want you to feel pressured to give in any way.